0: and we are live folks we are live sorry different studio let me get this set up a little bit better uh it appears as though the consensus is in we are heading towards a recession however according to president biden we are only likely to get a slight recession so don't worry folks also the most recent census Overcounted in a bunch of blue states, potentially skewing the political landscape in favor of Democrats. We're going to be talking about this and more in episode 368 of the In the Tank podcast. All right. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. And joining me today, I have got Justin Haskins, editorial director here at the Heartland Institute and co-author of the latest Glenn Beck book, The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. How's it going, Justin?
1: Oh, I'm doing great. I'm uh, in Arlington Heights in Illinois. Um, I'm pretty sure they taxed me when I landed on the plane. Mm -hmm. um and so i mean i'm feeling i'm feeling pretty good i'm never in the office so uh it's good to see all of you guys here it's good to see that people are actually working and and doing things that it isn't all for show that's pretty good (laughs) a little i don't i don't see i don't see my latest glenn beck book back here but i do see socialism is evil so i'll give you guys a pass on that one so (laughs) yeah
0: we should we should we need to do some
1: remodeling while i'm here before i go we need to make sure we line it up with enough
0: just That's a good and point and stuff. I don't think
1: there's enough back there. So,
0: Also joining us, Chris Talgo, senior editor here at the Heartland Institute in Jim's office. How's it going, Chris? Going pretty good. How are you, Donnie? Fantastic. We're all in different uh, environments that we're usually at. Uh, we're all in office, just in different rooms. So apologies if our flow is a little bit disrupted by the fact that we're not in our normal uh, environment here. So I guess just, just got to put that warning out there. But also, another warning, and I say this at the beginning of every episode, is uh, basically to encourage those that are only listening to the audio version of this podcast. You're probably getting it on a Friday, and maybe even later. You could join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon, Central Times. We're streaming on Facebook and YouTube and Rumble and Twitter. You can join the conversation live, put in your comments and your questions. Maybe we'll show your comment on screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. And also, if you want to help us out, there's a very easy... Easy way to do that just uh just hit that like button hit that uh share button subscribe if you haven't already or just leaving a comment underneath this video are all things that help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people um any other house cleaning stuff uh justin's in town because we have the benefit dinner which is tomorrow so if you haven't gotten your tickets for that it's probably too late especially if you're hearing this on a friday but uh, yeah, tomorrow, our benefit dinner, October 21st in the Chicagoland area. Uh, looking forward to hearing Yeomi Park speak about her crazy story about escaping North Korea. I'm pretty uh, pretty stoked to, to hear that one out. But um, Chris and Justin and Jim, who will be back in town for tomorrow, they're all going to be there. So if there's anyone that's listening to this podcast, it's going to be Uh, present for that event make sure you find us reach out tell us you like the show tell them you don't like jim's jim rants you know and anything like that gentlemen anything you want to say about uh the benefit dinner tomorrow before we jump into the topics that we want to discuss today
1: well i do think we should mention at the very least that even if you can't go to the benefit dinner in person Uh, surely we'll have the event. Uh, I don't know if they live stream it, but they, they will definitely have a recording of, of, you know, the keynote address and things like that. And there'll be clips from, from other things. So, um, if you're interested in seeing it, but you can't make it to the event, I'm sure that if you go to the Heartland Institute's YouTube channel, that all that stuff will be on there probably within a week or two of, of the event. So, uh, even if you can't make it in person, you can just join us virtually.
0: Yeah, that's a possibility. I don't, we are definitely not streaming it, but maybe it'll be posted afterwards. We will see, we will see, but uh, it's something that you want to see in person, you know, especially when you're possibly sitting next to Chris at one of the tables, but that's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, gents, a uh, lot to talk about. Seemingly, there's not a shortage of stuff to talk about on a weekly basis. We could probably do a daily show and not run out of stuff to talk about. So, um, but I want to talk about this, this... um uh this this kind of this the story that we are seemingly destined to have a, a a recession so the biden administration over the past year has been talking about how great the economy is uh they've created more jobs than any other presidential administration in the history of the world we know that's complete bs but that's what they say they've told us that inflation is actually a good thing and it's a sign that the economy is roaring back after covid subsided again we know that's all bs they told us that the economy was just perfect. And if it weren't for that pesky Putin and those lingering supply chain issues, oh, man, we'd all be sitting on gold toilets. That's that's what the that's the narrative that they're trying to push over there. And of course, there's been economists and members of the political and commentary class that have that have been warning about an impending recession for a while now. Others say the opposite. Well, a new report has just come out. That makes it seem like uh, that a recession is pretty darn close to inevitable. So this Bloomberg article forecast for the U.S. recession within a year hits 100 percent in a blow to Biden. So reading from this Bloomberg article, it says a U.S. recession is effectively certain in the next 12 months in a uh, according to a new Bloomberg economics Uh, model projections the latest recession probability models by bloomberg economists anna wong and eliza winger forecast a higher recession probability across all time frames with a 12-month estimate of a downturn by october 2023 hitting 100 percent up from 65 percent for the comparable period in the previous update The Bloomberg economics model uses 13 macroeconomic and financial indicators to predict the chance of a downturn uh, at horizons of one month to two years. While the chance of a recession within 12 months has reached 100 percent under the model, the odds of a recession hitting sooner are also up. The model forecasts the likelihood of a recession within 11 months at 73 percent, up from 30 percent. And the 10-month probability rose to 25% from 0%. So, Chris, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, I know we dispute the use of models all the time. Uh, For example, models showing extreme global warming are, are riddled with problems. Government modeling, when it comes to the effects of potential legislation, is a joke, as we know. Uh, so do you think that we should dismiss this Bloomberg uh, economic model or do you think that we should kind of uh, brace for impact here? What do you think?
2: All right. So before I even address the Bloomberg uh, model, we are in a recession because we've had two consecutive quarters of negative growth. So hmm. according to the classic definition, we are in a recession currently. But if you remember back to uh, after the second <laughs> after the second quarter, uh, numbers came out, the uh the Biden administration, they just changed the definition of recession on the, on the fly. So we are in a recession. So I think that what the Bloomberg uh, report indicates and what many other uh, leading uh, uh, economic uh, people are saying is that this is going to get really bad. Like this, this is going to be really bad in the coming months and it is going to uh, absolutely uh, impact, you know, a vast majority of americans and it's going to get you know really really bad
0: yeah you know that that's i i I almost forgot about that yeah they redefined recession in fact they could just do that in perpetuity right (laughs) checkmate everybody we're never in a recession because we'll just change the definition every time we get uh we meet that new benchmark but Justin, what do you what do you think about this? I mean, you've been critical of modeling, uh, you know, as much as anybody else here. So should we should we take this for what it's worth or, you know, take it with a grain of salt?
1: Yeah. So the main thing for me is I don't think we know we're in such weird territory right now economically Uh, And the reason for that, Chris Chris and I talk about this all the time, because when you look at economic data, when you're looking at unemployment rates or you're looking at GDP growth, you're looking at a bunch of different things, the, the numbers don't really line up with what you've seen historically with similar sorts of situations. And the reason for that is because and this is why the Biden administration got away for so long with saying that there actually isn't a recession happening. It's because the unemployment rate was so low while there were all these other major problems going on. But because the unemployment rate was low, they were able to say, well, it is isn't a recession. The reason we're seeing this is because there are there have been massive, unprecedented distortions in the economy that have occurred over the past several years. Really, it's over the past couple of decades, but over the last uh, really, since COVID happened, uh, we had the government lockdowns, and then we had the massive amount of money printing that that emerged from that—trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Essentially, modern monetary theory—we we put that into action, right? Debts and deficits don't matter. We're just going to pour money into the economy, and it created all of these distortions in the economy. So, yeah, we have full—we em- have we have essentially full employment at certain periods of time recently. We probably still have some something close to full employment right now. Even though I think we are going into some kind of recession because we have stagflation potentially occurring. We have, uh, which means we have lots of inflation, but not a lot of economic growth. We actually have negative economic growth. So we're seeing GDP growth go down, but we're seeing unemployment not really skyrocket upwards. We're seeing interest rates go up really high. We're seeing the housing market start to slip, but the housing market went up 40% in like a year and a half. So we're seeing all of these different things kind of piece together, come together in a way that we haven't historically, we've we've never seen this before. And it's because the distortions are unprecedented. We've never printed trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars and dumped it into an economy that we just shut down and paid people to stay home and paid people who still have jobs, giving them stimulus checks that they can't spend anywhere because the economy is shut down. We've never done any of those things and we did all of that over the course of a year and a half. And basically um, I think the main thing for people to to take away is that there really hasn't been any economic growth in any real sense for a while. What's happened is the the Biden administration and, and the congressional Democrats before that with some help with from Republicans too, essentially created growth, economic growth by printing the money and dumping it into the economy and then by, by people spending that money, they created economic growth, okay? That's how they, it, it's a distortion. It's not real economic growth based on supply and demand or anything like that in any traditional sense. It's, it's not based on population growth. It's not based on any of those things. It's based entirely or on economic efficiency or anything. It's based entirely on printing money. And now we're seeing lots of inflation. We've seen that over the last year. And that's because of all the all the money printing that happened previously. So now what's happening is the Fed has realized at, uh, that they need to unwind all of this by increasing interest rates. But by increasing interest rates, they're tr- what they're trying to do is suck money out of the economy to try help deal with inflation. Mm-hmm. But really, what that means is they're trying to create a recession. Now they don't right. want it to be a big recession, but they want it to be a recession big enough. That it stops the inflation from from getting worse. So what people need to under that people need to understand that's the plan. The plan is recession. Not a bit. They don't want a depression. They want a recession, but they need a recession of some kind in order to get the money out of to cool the market off because the market is insane. And so that to me is. That to me is the biggest takeaway here. We actually haven't been seeing any economic growth. All of the growth that you've seen over the past few years is really just distortions created by money printing. And now the Fed's trying to fix it because they've got a gigantic inflation problem that's killing the dollar. And in the process of doing that, they have to create a recession in order to deal with that problem. So yeah. it's a gigantic mess. It's a gigantic mess. And 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 and, and I guess my overall conclusion is, I don't think anyone knows how this plays out because really we've never seen this happen in America, maybe ever. So I don't think we know exactly what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, no, it's quite a it's quite a double whammy. I mean, uh, for, especially like when you're just considering it from just the general public's uh, perspective when they're, they're purchasing power just being eroded by inflation every day. And now it seems like we're going to ride that wave of, uh, of inflation right into a recession Uh, And I can't wait to see how the fake news media like tries to spin this one. You know, after seeing these headlines of inflation is actually a good thing. And uh, uh, yeah, you know, there's reasons why the energy crisis is actually necessary. So surely we're a couple of weeks away from a CNN article that are like, you know, recessions are good. People are eating too much food anyways. Like that's got to be right down the line. Go ahead, Chris. You're going to jump in.
2: Yeah. uh, First of all, I I agree with everything Justin said that our economy is Severely skewed because of you know d- d- decades going back decades to uh, just the the insane money printing and then you know the the, the COVID lockdowns supply chain crisis. Um, but the White House always likes to point to our unemployment rate is three point five or three point six percent. So therefore we can't be in a recession. But as Justin pointed out our job market is in tatters because the government paid millions of people not to work for a couple of years during the pandemic. And Hey, here we are a year and a half out of the pandemic and we've got 11.4 million open jobs. The, the U S job market is just in shambles right now. Everywhere I go, there are help wanted signs. I thought this would, you know, uh, be over when the, uh, the pandemic, you know, uh, was lifted. But no, this is this is a long term, deeply rooted problem that the uh, administration, you know, wants to just pepper over. But the American people, they are well aware of this. You know, look at look at tons of polls. And the number one concern for voters is the economy. It's inflation. It's just all all the problems in the economy that are coming to a head right now. And the American people know that we are in a recession and it's probably going to get into a deeper, nastier recession as time goes on
0: yeah, and also we got we gotta acknowledge that this isn't a problem that just like started, you know, a couple of years ago. Like this is just what what's what happened over the last couple of years and the monetary policy and the money printing is just like, uh, step eight of this like horrible uh, economic system that we've been pursuing for a while, uh, you know, a, a series of economic bubbles that have popped, and instead of just like reeling from that pain, we've just tried to reinflate it. And Justin, we we've talked about uh, just like the amount of of uh, you know after the housing crash, and just like the the government's policy was basically like, let's just reinflate the bubble. <laughs> so <laughs> you you uh, you just sent a link to. Is that is that the housing data that, that yeah. we've talked about before all right let's yeah. show that up and talk talk about talk about this for a bit
1: yeah so what's really interesting I've written about this before for a variety of different outlets I think Newsweek was one of them but going back like a year like a year ago saying you're starting to see or maybe 10 months ago you're starting to see the signs of an in of of a economic crash and you can see that in the housing data. So if you look back, one of the best indicators of a big uh, economic crash or at least a large recession is housing data, uh, housing sales data. And the reason for this is because, at least my theory is, the reason why you see these things correlated is because housing prices often uh, go up very quickly uh, right, at the, right as the bubble is getting at its biggest right before it pops the the mm. housing prices go up really quickly so what you're seeing on the screen if you're watching on uh, if you're watching the video version of the of the podcast you'll see this comes from the federal reserve this is the federal reserve bank of uh I think St. Louis puts out this chart that shows average sales pricing of homes over time and in it there's these little gray bands in it that run vertically those are recessions okay So what you see here is over the course of time, if you look at the housing prices, you see the housing prices shoot up and then you see shortly after that, a recession that happens, okay? Now you could say, well, of course you're seeing a recession uh, right around the time housing prices are going down because um, that's what happens in recessions, right? You have a recession and the housing prices go down. But when you actually look at the data that this shows uh, behind this chart, what you'll see is that if you look at, because this is about quarterly um, sales data, when you look at the data behind this, what you'll see is that the rate of increase dramatically goes up right before the crash. Right before the crash, you see the rate of increase skyrocket, and that is exactly what happened in uh, the 2000s. It's what happened with the dot com bubble right uh, right before. Uh, right around the year 2000 then um right as barack obama was becoming president you see that little spike in the sales prices and now when you look at where we're at right now what are you seeing what you're seeing is the most dramatic increase in uh, in terms of rate of increase in housing prices we've ever had in history we've never seen what we're seeing right now where housing prices are going up by 40% over the course of just a couple of years. That has literally never happened in America. The reason for that is exactly what we said before. It's the Federal Reserve and the government pumping trillions of dollars into the economy, just pumping it, printing money, giving it to people so they have more money to spend on housing. That, in addition to supply chain issues, which made it harder to build new houses, which increased the price of existing houses, those two things combining together created this insane, uh, increase in housing prices. Well, now what this chart does not show you is that housing prices have started to go down. That's because this chart is quarterly data and we don't have the most recent quarterly data available for this chart, but housing prices have now started to slip. And once you start to see the slip, you get a recession shortly after that. As you can see in the chart looking now, if you're looking right around 2007 ish, you start to see housing prices slip, then it, sharply declines we go into a recession well i believe that's exactly what we're seeing here i think this is exactly what's going to occur here except uh the bigger the rate of increase the more the more sharply distorted the market is i guess you could say the the more distorted the market is the harder the fall often is now we don't know for sure it's impossible to predict the future so we don't know for sure that that's what's going to happen this time around And a lot of things have changed in terms of regulations and stuff like that compared to what happened in 2008. But if the past is an indication of what we're going to see, we're going to see a massive, massive, massive recession because we're seeing the fastest increase in housing prices basically that we've ever seen. And if you look at the quarterly data, if you actually to pull up a, a, a table, the quarterly data, which I don't have available, what you would see is that out of the top, say, seven quarters in history, uh, in terms of fastest growth of housing prices, uh, like four, I think it was five of the seven of the fastest quarters we've ever had happened in 2021 or 2022. So, and three, I think three out of the four fastest were in 2022 and like late 2021, if I remember right. So we're seeing unprecedented distortions in the housing market. And because we're seeing it in the housing market, we I believe we're also seeing it elsewhere in the economy. And it means that we're likely to see a large economic decline as a result of this. Now, I guess it's possible that this sort of hockey stick chart that we're looking at here is just going to broken hockey stick, I guess you could say, is going to keep going up. We're just going to skyrocket up forever. Housing <laughs> right. prices go up forever. Maybe that's what we'll see, but I don't think so. I think what's going to happen is the Fed is going to continue raising interest rates as much as they have to in order to kill the economy or to slow it down significantly in order to try to bring inflation under control, get these housing prices under control. And so by design, they want those housing prices to come down and they're going to create a recession on purpose as a result of this. And right, it and, 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 seems and- inevitable at this point. Well, and, and let me just
0: clarify for a second, because like somebody might hear that statement, even if it, it especially if it was taken out of context and, and make it seem like, oh, this is just some nefarious plot from the rulers, uh, you know, that are in charge, that they're trying to manufacture like a recession. And I don't think that's what you're saying. No, like no. it's they they have no other option like this when the, when inflation is going like crazy, they have no option but to jack up interest rates, which have the sole purpose of slowing down the economy. Well, that's well, their but, only
2: option. But well, but have- But after the uh, the late 1970s, early 1980s recession under Carter in the beginning of the Reagan years, we had monumental growth because uh, President Reagan and Congress uh, passed, you know, deregulatory agenda. They cut taxes and they, you know, spurred economic growth. The uh, Biden administration, since they've come into office, have done the exact opposite. They have increased regulations, especially on the energy sector. They have, you know, increased taxes. So the, the policies that they are pushing is also, uh, you know, a stifling growth. So yeah. unless we unless we get a change in uh, in policy, you know, from the White House and from Congress, then we're, you know, we're not well, going so, to see an improvement.
1: So and this is and this is the point actually. It's a, it's a great point. The only thing Democrats seem to know how to do uh, at the federal level. Is to spur economic growth. In terms of economics, the only way they know how to do anything with the economy is to spend money. Right. Have the government spend money, create new government programs, have Just the Fed throw it out of a helicopter. That's all they know how to do. They don't know how to do anything else. And so, and then what they'll do is they'll give the illusion that they're paying for it by saying that they increase some taxes a little bit when it doesn't actually pay for any of the things that they're doing. And that's essentially what we've seen from the Biden administration. So the problem that we have, this is this is crisis level stuff because the problem that we have is on the one hand, we've got the central bank saying, we got to get the inflation under control. So we're going to increase interest rates to pull money out of the economy, to slow the economy down, to get the inflation under control. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is saying, we need more economic growth and we got we to gotta build out a new economy from the bottom up in the middle out by spending more money. So they're spending more money thereby printing more money, introducing more money into the economy, spurring inflation while the Fed is trying to combat inflation by increasing interest rates. So they're one hand it's, it's almost as though one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing, right? Or there's some other plan here that we don't really understand, but it just doesn't make any sense. You, you, you want what you would think you would see is the Biden administration and the Fed both recognizing inflation is a problem. So, boy, we better get this under control by reducing spending because that's introducing more dollars into the economy and that's what causes inflation. But that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing the Fed trying to do that. And then on the flip side, we're seeing Biden do the opposite of that. Now, and just one last thing. Uh, Earlier, you made the comment that, you know, this isn't some nefarious plot. I don't think it is, you're right. But I, I think it's in a way almost worse than a nefarious plot. Because to have a nefarious plot, you actually have to have a plan and you have to know what you're what you're doing. And the plan has to kind of work itself out. What's happened with the Fed is, and, and the Biden administration, but the Fed played right along with this, they weren't concerned about inflation. They didn't think that was going to be a problem. So what they're doing now is this is a massive, uh, they screwed up, they realized they screwed up, and now they're trying to clean up the massive mistake that they made. they made huge, huge errors during the COVID pandemic because they told government, don't worry about it. We'll just print the money. Everything will be fine. And then when people said inflation is going to happen, if we do this, they said, no, it's not. Everything's fine. And then you had Biden on TV saying, I don't know anybody who's concerned about inflation and all this other crap. Right right. now, all of a sudden they're all concerned about, about, they're all concerned about inflation. Why? Because they completely screwed up. The Fed realizes it. And that's why they're rapidly increasing interest rates. They're running in the other direction of what they did before. This is one of the biggest policy failures ever. This is a huge mess, like screw up. And and I, it's bizarre in a way, I guess, because they're not politicians. People running the Fed aren't politicians. So people don't know who they are necessarily. Very The average person walking down the street does not know who the most powerful person at the Fed is. And if they do, they almost certainly don't know who the second or third most powerful person at the Fed is, right? And because of that, maybe that's why they're not getting as much flack for this, right? Sure. There's no politics behind it. It's not a exactly a Republican, Democrat thing per se. Um, but it, they, they are hugely to blame for doing this. Oh, sure. Hugely to blame for doing this. And they are admitting that what they did was wrong by rapidly increasing interest rates like this. And we're all paying the price for, as a result.
2: And because the Biden administration is more concerned with wealth redistrib- uh, redistribution and their equity agenda, they're putting forth policies that are uh, slowing economic growth. So you, you can't have it both ways. Money <laughs> right. I mean, dur- during the Obama years, we had, you know, very, very low economic growth. It was like one to 2%. And uh, that was considered, quote, the new normal. Then when Donald Trump came in and he, you know, slashed taxes and uh, cut regulations and we had, uh, you know... Th- uh, at least a little bit higher growth for a couple of years, but now we're going back in the opposite direction because we're not incentivizing innovation, entrepreneurship, and business development. We're not, we're not uh, incentivizing businesses to uh, invest in uh, research and development because they are you know worried about the future. And when businesses are more worried about the future and future taxes and future regulations, they are not going to, uh, you know, I- I invest in in hire employees and invest in uh, you know new equipment and such. So that that's also, I think, a big reason why our economy is is just really uh you know. Uh, in this like slow growth mode. And also uh, we, we can't forget that during the uh, pandemic, we lost a huge amount of small businesses and the small businesses still remain the backbone of the American economy. 70% of economic uh, activity is at the small business level. So when you just you know took a you know, chainsaw to small businesses across this nation, yeah, there's gonna be a uh, fallout from that and we're gonna reap the consequences for you know, years to come.
0: Yeah, no, the the all the response to COVID was just uh, I don't think I could like overstate or under uh, overstate how terrible that was handled. And just like the hubris that they think that like, oh, no, 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 just let us, you know, take care of everything. Everything will go fine. It's just unbelievable failure of central planning there. Um, So we have this Bloomberg economist saying 100 percent we're going to have a recession soon. Uh, Larry Summers, we've talked about a a warning that conditions uh, are reminiscent of, like, the Great Depression. Uh, Jeff Bezos just recently tweeted out that it's time to batten down the hatches. Elon Musk has had, uh, you know, stated recently that he's got a super bad feeling about the economy. We talked about J.B. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, who has uh, been warning about the economy for a bit now, and he recently said that the situation is very, very serious. But possibly the most concerning warning comes from President Joe Biden. So during during a softball interview with CNN's Jake Tapper, Joe Biden said, "quote uh, I don't think there's going to be a recession. If it is, it'll be very slight recession. That is, we'll move down slightly." It is possible. Look, it's possible, but I don't anticipate it. He says every six months they look down to the next six months and they say that it's going to happen. And it hasn't happened yet, Biden said, adding that uh, they've been predicting this off and on. So, uh, you know, we've we've talked about the administration's, uh, you know, trying to argue that everything is going well and all of this stuff. So this almost seems just like kind of par for the course. But the fact that he's like even even suggesting that there might oh there might be a slight recession like <laughs> that worries me because like you take that warning and you should magnify it by like a hundred times if he's the one that's saying it. So Chris, I mean, you could you could address that idea, but just just the idea that he's just like underselling this. Oh yeah, maybe it'll be a slight recession, but I'm not anticipating it. What do you think about the president's comments?
2: Well, Joe Biden told us that inflation was transitory for months. Joe Biden, uh, you know, has just lied through his teeth on so many occasions about so many things, whether it's, you know, the foreign policy situation or the border or, you know, fentanyl or just like everything. So when he says that, oh, you know, there might be a slight recession, I think, you know, translated, that means there's going to be a humongous recession. He knows it. And he's trying to get ahead of it by saying, okay everybody you know there there might be some economic pain ahead it's going to be pretty slight so don't worry too much about it which th- to me means uh oh there's a real big you know uh economic uh you know doomsday rapidly approaching so
0: yeah i, I mean justin yeah. I, you, you know we're only a couple of weeks from election time and it's like you got these articles coming out you know 100 percent chance that we're going to be in a recession or whatever you know are we're we're in a recession if you disregard that redefinition of the terms so like what's the strategy here like are they laying down the 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 uh the foundation of what their messaging is for all of this as we continue to slide into a recession like what do you think the strategy is especially with the election only a couple of weeks out
1: It just depends on what they, how they want to approach this going forward. I don't think we necessarily know what the plan is. The plan in the past was we're going to print as much money as it takes to make sure that, you know, we see what they call economic growth, but really is just temporary distortions in the market. Okay. It's, it's, uh, you know. It's, it's like you've got somebody with low blood sugar, so you just stuff donuts down their throats so the blood sugar goes up, but it's like that's not a healthy way to <laughs> you know, solve the problem, right? Long-term, you got to figure something else out. So that's, that's what's going on here. They've been shoving donuts down the throats of, a, of the American economy for a long time, and now they're realizing that's caused some other health issues, some massive health issues, and we got to figure out a way to resolve that problem. But- Politically, that doesn't help because the solution is, you know, go run, right? Go exercise, go do something painful. And that's not what people want to (laughs) hear. They don't want to hear that. What they want to hear is that there's some government program that can fix it, but there isn't a government program that can fix it. And so I don't know how they solve the problem really without, they put themselves in a horrible situation because the only way to actually fix the problem is to reduce government spending and to pull lots of money out of the economy. But if you do that in an economy that's basically surviving off of that, you're going to see high levels of unemployment or higher levels of unemployment. If they want to keep the unemployment perpetually low, they can. They just keep printing the money and putting it in the government programs. And you can keep, if you do enough of it, you will keep, you, you absolutely will be able to keep unemployment low, but the cost of that will be lots of inflation and more than just inflation, people need to understand inflation. What, what, what happens when you have lots of inflation over a long period of time, really, is people get poorer. See, right. we're all getting poorer. Yep. So the, all of society is getting poorer so that we can keep the unemployment rate from going from, say, 3 or 4% up to, say, 6 or 7%. We're all going to get poorer as a result of this, okay? And not a little poorer, a lot poorer, because that's what is happening with this infl- inflation. We're talking about prices that are 20% higher than they were a few years ago for things. And if wages don't keep up with that, and they haven't, then that means we're all getting poorer collectively. So that that's the choice they have to make. The choice they have to make is, are they just going to keep unemployment low so that they can because the unemployment problem is a bigger problem politically, or are they going to say, you know what? We think the inflation problem might actually be a bigger problem politically because everybody's getting poorer, no matter who they are. And that's a huge problem for us. That is the balancing act that they have to play. And I don't think we actually can know what the plan is at this point in time. But my gut tells me, because historically, all Democrats ever do is, is spend money to help spur economic growth, because that's all they know how to do, then they will just continue keeping unemployment low. And, and Donnie knows this. And This is super in the weeds. and We didn't prepare for this. This is a modern monetary theory sort of thing. But the best case study that's ever been done on this in reality, because much of what modern monetary theory is, this idea of endless printing of money, with low inflation, the, the best case study of that in reality is Japan. That really hasn't oh, right. been too many countries that have actually pursued this kind of policy over a long time, but in Japan they have. And what you see in Japan, it's really, really interesting. They have massive debt in Japan. The the debt-to-GDP ratio in Japan is like 200-something percent or something like that. It's huge compared to even America with its massive debt. It's not even close. Way worse in Japan because what the Bank of Japan has done and what the government in Japan has done over a long period of time is spent tons and tons and tons of money. Whenever there's a problem, they throw money at the problem. Okay, Mm -hmm. Government just spends lots of money. And what you see when you look at Japan is – they historically don't have massive increases in unemployment. They don't. They right. don't have in. They don't have s- situations where you have, you know, millions and millions of people losing their jobs for a year or two. That doesn't happen in Japan. But what they also don't have is GDP growth of any kind.
2: Right. They, they have, have stagnant, no GDP. Stagnant growth. economy.
1: They've had no GDP growth in Japan s- since like the mid 1990s. Okay. So their economy is totally stagnant, as Chris just said. And what that means is people have progressively been getting poorer over this whole period of time. Everyone in Japan gets poorer. And so Japan is getting progressively poorer pursuing this kind of policy. So that was the choice they made. They said, we're going to keep unemployment low, but we're all going to be poorer. And that was the choice they made. So what are we going to do here in America? Are we going to choose to all be poorer so we can keep the unemployment rate artificially low? Or... Are we going to allow unemployment to go up so that we can fix the problem? And that's—it's not a good situation. I'm not saying that's good, I, I, but that's the situation that they put us in by shoving donuts down our throats, telling us this is going to fix our pro- our health problems, yeah, there, when it isn't going to fix it. There's, there's but there's couple-
2: I, I think I think the left is opposed to uh, rapid economic growth because it creates winners and losers, and th- that is opposed to their agenda of we want everyone to be as you know as uh, equitable as possible. So to them, uh when you have low growth and when you have massive wealth redistribution uh you know programs and huge government benefits that they're handing out to the to the uh you know poor, this is this is part of their, you know, their like their goals and their agendas. But in reality, as most people are starting to understand, the the inflation is a tax on the poor and the poor are paying the brunt of this. So I I, I hope that the American people wake up to the fact that Although the Biden administration is touting, oh, we have a low unemployment rate. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter to people. What matters to people is when they go to the grocery store, when they go to the gas station and they cannot afford these goods because of the massive money printing and all the economic dislocation that their, uh, you know, government intervention and uh, regulations and high taxes are, uh, you know, implementing on the American economy.
0: So I want to I want to shift the conversation to just like what should the, the politicians like actually do? Right. So so my wife asked me yesterday after I told her about the topics that we're going to talk about on today's podcast, she says, like, what would the economic situation be if Trump were still president? Like, surely the economy would still be experiencing some of the same things and some of the same issues. Right. So before I tell you what I had to respond to that, I, I'm, I'm curious of how you guys uh, would answer
2: that question. I'll start with you, Chris. So when uh, Donald Trump left office in the fourth quarter of 2020, our GDP was growing at a massive rate. We were we were in the midst of a V-shaped recovery. And as soon as Joe Biden came into office, he reversed a lot of the Trump policies that were promoting that economic growth. So I, I think this is, you know, very uh, uh, it, 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 it's it, it's a strategic thing. And I think they're doing it on purpose. And I think that this is part of their uh, wider agenda. But if they wanted to reverse course, they could do it and they could do it in an instant. All they'd have to do is say, OK, we're going to get rid of the, uh, the regulations on the oil and gas industry, which is just crushing you know, the American economy. We're going to not implement uh, higher taxes and we're going to uh, cut down on government spending. But they won't do that because it is not in line with their uh, agenda.
0: You know, uh, Justin, I'm curious of your response, because I know the, the Trump administration was in office when we started all the lockdowns. The the Trump administration spent plenty of money, you know, wasn't fiscally conservative, uh, generally speaking. So, you know, h- how do you uh, how do you answer that question? What would the economy look like if Trump was in office?
1: Yeah, n- not everybody uh, on the right would agree with everything that I'm about to say. But I, I would argue that some of these problems were going to happen regardless of who was president uh, because of the policy decisions that Donald Trump made and, and, and congressional Democrats too. I mean, he had to work with congressional Democrats, so he was limited with what he could do, but they spent way too much money. They put tons of money into the economy uh, because of the lockdowns and the decision to lock everything down and, um, Donald Trump and congressional Democrats and many congressional Republicans voted for pumping lots of money into the economy. They all did. So some of these problems and the supply chain issues, some of the supply chain issues are a result of shutting the economy down abruptly and keeping it shut down, which which Trump supported at first, but then he wanted to reopen things faster. Uh, and And they really, there was a lot of opposition to that. And a lot of that's a state issue. And so there's all sorts of complicated things here. Where I think Trump would have done a lot better because I think some of this wouldn't be any different, but where I think Trump would have done a lot better is what Trump, one of the ways out of this really is to grow, grow your way out of it. The economy, you got to grow the economy really quickly. And that was what was happening under Donald Trump's policies because he was cutting regulations. He was cutting taxes. He was doing things. He was revising the tax code in a way that was helping Businesses and individuals and, and everybody really benefited from that. And as a result, we were seeing lots of economic growth. He wanted lots of domestic energy production, which would keep energy prices low, which means that we have uh, a stronger economy throughout. And what Biden has done is he's taken the big spending policies and he's coupled them with policies that hurt economic growth. And so what we're n- we're not seeing real economic growth, What w- all we're seeing is the distortions And as a result of that, you're getting sort of the worst of both worlds, whereas with Donald Trump, you would still have some of the problems related to government spending, and that would have to be dealt with. But you would also have pro-growth policies in place at the federal level that would dramatically help the economy grow. So the problem wouldn't be anywhere near as bad. Not only that, but the energy policies were way better under Trump and that would have kept a lot of the prices down as well. So it's it's sort of I'm not saying it would there wouldn't be any issues, but the problem would be a lot better with a with an approach that is trying to have actual economic growth. If all you're doing is spending more printing money and spending it as a way to create fake growth, as a way to show growth when you're not actually showing growth, then all you're doing is continuing this death spiral where you're okay. eventually going to have to do something really really dramatic like increase interest rates to 8 or 9 or 10% in order to claw this stuff back which is exactly what happened in the 1970s and 80s by the way when you yep. had interest rates at 15% and higher. So that's where that's where uh Joe Biden is pushing us. What Donald right. Trump would have done is said, "All right, people need to go back to work. That would have solved some of the supply chain issues. We need less regulations because we got to grow the economy. We need to keep taxes low because we got to grow the economy. We got to do the, we got to keep energy prices low so we can grow the economy. And um, that means more domestic energy production. And he would have gone full bore in that direction yes. and it would have offset the problem. So yeah. he would have handled it a lot better, but it still wouldn't have been perfect. I don't think because of his yeah, tendency uh, to spend too much money.
2: Well, so, Johnny, And and as Justin uh, 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 showed us in uh, one of his uh Uh, research papers about the Trump tax cuts, the Trump tax cuts actually benefited the uh, lower middle class much more than they did the uh, wealthy class. But in the Joe Biden economy with high inflation, it's the exact opposite. Good point. The uh, the wealthy are able to, you know, to, to get through inflation, you know, somewhat unscathed but it's the middle and lower classes that are just getting crushed right now. So for all the people that, you know, that were mocking Donald Trump and his policies and saying, "Oh, he doesn't care about poor people." That is just completely untrue. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. The, uh,
2: American families were were making, you know, giant uh uh steps uh, under the Donald Trump economy, but under the Joe Biden economy and and like Justin said, with the anti-growth uh, policies and the wealth redistribution and the huge government spending, the exact opposite's happening.
0: Yeah, the the energy thing was the was my go-to answer because you know Trump was unabashedly pro- American energy. Like that was yeah. like one of his giant pillars for his entire administration. Whereas this administration is completely undermining the energy sector. So, and and I don't care, you know, when the administration uh, w- what they say when they're talking out of both sides of their mouths. Uh, I don't care when they claim that they're helping American energy. I don't care when they claim that they have more oil leases than ever before. It's all semantics. It's all word games. It's all BS. So, you know, because when you go out there every day and promote the idea that we're going to end fossil fuels. We're going to end reliable energy for the sake of producing clean energy. When you go out there every day and you talk about bringing the era of combustion engines to a close, you're sending a signal to the energy industry. You're sending signals to the banking industry. You're sending signals to the investment industry to start closing up shop like that. That's what the Biden administration is doing. And the energy industry undergirds the entire
2: economy because yeah, you've got transport resources. goods. exactly. So when, when the cost of uh, energy, whether it's oil, natural gas, or whatever, you know, goes through the roof, that is going to trickle down into the entire economy. So the, yeah, right. I, I completely agree with you that the energy policies out of the white house are a major factor Absolutely. Uh, for this.
0: And, and I'm, I'm just going to gloss over it. If you want to read about this, uh, it's in the show notes, but I do want to spend some time on our next topic. But, uh, there's an article that I have in the show notes that's talking about, uh, this New York billionaire refinery owner super energy guy and he basically says during the course of this interview that yeah if we completely reverse course if the Biden administri- administration completely reverse course on our energy policy we would 100% avoid a recession so that's to me the biggest difference of uh you know when you've got a person with a D in front of their name in the White House as opposed to a person with an R in front of their name in the White House and now, of course, the Biden administration, instead of unleashing domestic, uh, you know, energy production, we're we're going to OPEC. Oh, can we have some oil? No, we, we're not going to give you any more well, oil. And, and okay, we'll go to SPR Venezuela again. <laughs> yeah, we'll tap. We'll tap the strategic petroleum reserve. We'll go hat in hand to Venezuela next. Like it's it's a complete joke. Complete joke.
1: Human and on the theme, violators too, by the way.
0: Yeah, you know. Well, there's that too. You know, but that hasn't stopped us. It's from all the same, China. Fault. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true.
0: Um so we've got a little over 10 minutes. And I want to get to our secondary topic. And this was a topic that I was I I wouldn't say completely unaware of because I feel like I've seen some stuff, but I haven't really looked into it much. And then Justin brought this to my attention. And as I was doing the show notes for this, I was pretty shocked about it. So this is in reference to the census that was just done what like six or seven months ago a year ago how long ago was that so they it wasn't do it that
1: long. they do it every 10 years so it was uh, 2020, 20, right, that, 2020, that yep. they conducted the census, but okay. the data wouldn't come out necessarily then. So, yeah.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So there was uh, some stories coming out about like, oh, well, you know, the, the census overcounted certain states and they undercounted certain states. And and like I, I think that like my uh, familiarity with the with the uh, with this topic was just kind of those headlines that really didn't offer any more information of this. So when Justin told me about this and I started Looking into it, so I'm reading from this article from the Daily Signal. And it says in a shocking report, the U.S. Census Bureau uh, recently admitted that it overcounted the populations of eight states and undercounted the population of six states in the 2020 census. But all, uh, uh, all but one of the states overcounted were blue states and all but one of the undercounted states were red states. What a coincidence, everybody. Uh, those costs, those costly errors will distort congressional representation and the uh, electoral college. It means that when the Census Bureau reapportioned the House of Representatives, Florida was cheated out of two additional seats it should have gotten and Texas missed out on, uh, on missed out on one one uh, additional seat minnesota and rhode island each kept a representative they shouldn't have and colorado was awarded a new member of the house that it didn't deserve so you know that the air was uncovered the the u.s census bureau admitted to it so what's the solution ah well tough luck move along that's it that's the end of the story this is outrageous man this is outrageous and if it was just like oh yeah, whatever, this state had like 100 less people and this state had, uh, you know, 100 more people, like whatever, like I, I don't expect the, the, any government agency to be completely accurate. For it to be completely skewed to one side and have legislative uh, implications of this, it, you know, I, I'll, I'll uh, use one of those lines that Jim always talks about. When, whenever there's like a problem, whenever there's some type of injustice or some mistake, it always seems to skew towards one side of the aisle. And the other side of the aisle, usually our side of the aisle, is always on the short end of that stick. So, Justin, like I said, you brought this to my attention. So, I'll give you first whack at any of this stuff.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's so much to, there's really so much to say about this. But, um, I think that the main, one of the main issues is that there really is very little oversight into how this all happens. (laughs) I mean, Really, the the census, the way that we count the census and the way that we do these things, it it all works if everyone is really just trying their hardest to be fair about it. But I don't think any of us believe that that's what people are doing. And the states, um, really have a have a, a very strong incentive to make sure that their state is being overcounted because they get. It's not just about congressional representation it's also a, it's built into all these formulas mm-hmm. for federal funding and stuff right. so if you're a state you want to be overcounted you don't want to be undercounted because the more overcounted you are the more money you get that you don't deserve <laughs> so it makes total sense for a state to be trying to do this so you can imagine in a place like You know, California, for example, or some of these really deep blue states where they're just everything, everything at every level is basically run by Democrats. Why they would want this. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't Republican states that are engaging in that too. I'm sure there are, but the numbers don't lie. The internal report from the Census Bureau says that most of the overcounting happened in blue states and did not have most of the undercounting happened in red states. There's another really scary aspect to this too. And that is that in most states, the vast majority, they didn't have enough data. According to the Census Bureau, they didn't have, collect enough data to know with statistical significance whether undercounting or overcounting occurred. So only in 14 states did they actually have enough data to even come to a <laughs> so, conclusion. So
0: the problem could even be much so worse. So the
1: problem this. could be much worse. So we actually don't know it, how bad the problem really is. The other thing is in the in the in the article that you just cited um, from from uh, the Daily Signal, it was really interesting because they they mentioned that it th- the numbers really, if you're looking at the macro overcounting, it was very small percent. It was only like thirty six thousand people or something like that in total. If you just look at total, so in other words, in total, the census did pretty well. Right, I mean, thirty-six thousand people overcounting—that's not that bad, right? For all for the whole country. No, no,
0: no, no. This is in twenty ten, Uh, because I got another quote. This is from oh. a Hill piece. I, ha- I have a Hill piece that says the error resulted in over six hundred thousand overcounted residents in New York and a similar amount undercounted in Texas.
1: See, now that makes it seem even, <laughs> even worse. <laughs> that was the op. That was not. I was. I had a totally different line of thought because I thought that was twenty twenty. So that but that that clearly illustrates that there's some degree of corruption or something going on here that is not scientific let's put, at the very least let's admit that even if you want to say that this isn't nefarious and it's just everybody's trying to do whatever they can to boost the numbers and there's no real plan or plot to it it's just we want to boost the numbers okay but this isn't working in, in terms of accuracy. Right. We, we can see that very clearly from these, from these figures. I I just like, you know, and and
0: I always play this game. I'm sorry. I apologize. But like, could you imagine if the roles were reversed here and it was only red states that were overcounted and it was only blue states that were, that were uh, undercounted. Like, would we have the same, Oh, well, tough luck you know, ch- check
2: back at us in 10 years and we'll yeah. promise to be more accurate. Like, I, it just wouldn't stay. No, stand. there would there would be a uh, census commission that, that would be broadcast every night on MSNBC. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, Donnie, we, we know for a fact that the Democratic Party uh, is not a fan of the Electoral College. So this is a way for them to kind of skew the Electoral College in their favor because obviously they want to get a couple, uh, you know, more uh, votes if, the you know, blue states have a couple more representatives because the Electoral College is... Oh. So your senators plus your representatives is how many votes you get so also
0: also this is just my opinion everybody this is not the opinion of everybody in this organization or whatever 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 but so we we sit here we see this air it has all these big implications and all of this the census bureau is admitting to it yet we're all supposed to just trust the voting system and that's just the freest and fairest election that's ever existed in our lives give me a break folks
1: <laughs> I, it's 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 pretty bad. When you look when you just look at it at baseline, you say it's pretty bad. And and here's the thing: it let's say it's just oh so this is the this is really the where I was going before when I was talking about the 2010 numbers. Turns out that's that's wrong, but it's the point still holds. Okay, so they overcounted by several hundred thousand, right? But if everyone's just doing their hardest, <laughs> right, to, to inflate the numbers, then theoretically the overcounting should be close to equally distributed or it should be proportionally distributed based on the size of these different states. In other words, we shouldn't see lots of disparity between the red states and the blue states with overcounting. It should be basically equally applied, just different based proportionally on the size of these states. But that's not what we're seeing. What we're seeing is that the blue states are being overcounted much more than the red states and the red states are being undercounted by a lot more than the blue states that suggests there's something more happening here than everyone's just equally trying to inflate the numbers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the, all the numbers are, are inflated. No, a lot of the numbers are deflated and the, some other numbers are inflated. So now there there's the, there's another really important point that's going to get missed in, in, in this for a lot of people too, if they don't really stop and think about it. So congressional representation is tied up in all of this. Okay. We alluded to that earlier. And that's going to have implications potentially for how things shape up in Congress in this election, maybe next election, maybe for the next few elections until we get to another census and another uh, redistribution of of how all this stuff works. But what people need to keep in mind is the only reason that that's the case, the only reason that, that we're taking away some seats from one state and adding seats to another state is because we have this absolutely stupid law that was passed 100 years ago that says the House of Representatives is going to have 435 representatives Hmm. in it. And so when we redo the population, you have to take away seats from some people and give them to others to make sure that things proportionally work out in line with that 435 cap. But the population of America has increased dramatically Over the last hundred years, we're talking about by hundreds of millions of people. So even though we have 200 million more people than we had when they created that law, we have the same number of people in the House of Representatives representing us. In fact, when they passed the law, if I remember right. I don't even think we had Alaska and Hawaii as states. I think we are only 48 states back then. So literally we've added states since this happened. We've added 200 million people to the population. And yet the same number of people are representing us in the house of representatives, which is supposed to be a representation of people based on the proportion of uh, the population by state. So the whole, we shouldn't have, none of this should even be an issue. We should be adding representatives in all these states. And instead, what we're doing is taking them away in some places and adding them in other places as part of this ridiculous, completely distorted system that has effectively, effectively created an oligarchy in this country because we've got 435 people plus 100 senators. uh, That's 535 people representing 300 and something, 30 million people or so. Last I checked... That is essentially an oligarchy. I don't yeah, really see any way That is it.
2: that is such a great point. At the Constitutional Convention, James Madison wanted a fixed number of people per representative because he knew that the population would grow over time. He wanted the number of representatives to grow with the number of uh, people in the country so that the representatives could could uh, directly, uh, you know, govern and represent the people because. The more localized, you know, like uh, your government is, the the more responsive it's going to be. So when you have one House of Representatives member for the entire state of Wyoming, that is not going to be in. You know, it's impossible for that one representative to to defend the interests of all of all the people of Wyoming. Versus if you had fifty representatives for the people of Wyoming, it would be a much better representation of the people's interests in Congress yeah
0: you know so we're already at the one hour mark so we're gonna wrap it up here but it just it blows my mind that this isn't a bigger deal like i said i see these little headlines or whatever oh yeah there's some air in it and then that's the end of story like if i if the if the sides were swapped on this i like like chris was saying we would have congressional hearings about it it'd be a all-day-long
2: thing who who was president
1: when the census was uh, done trump that's right yeah so 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 you know for sure for sure, this would be a Russian collusion plot. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so I know. Out. This is. Be, I mean, there wouldn't be just committees. They'd be impeaching people. There'd be people dragged in front of Congress demanding answer. It would be. because it's against.
0: But because it's against this side of the aisle, uh, just move on. It's it's uh, Friday tomorrow. That's too bad. It's a uh, you know, it's a joke. Yeah. Better yeah, luck, jokes.
1: Better luck, luck uh, next decade. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. I want to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Join us every week for a new episode for those audio only listeners that are catching this on a friday or later join us a day earlier on thursday at noon where we're live streaming it on facebook and youtube and rumble and twitter you can join the conversation you can put your comments and questions in there maybe we'll show your question on uh comment on screen maybe we'll address your questions on the fly also help us break through those big tech algorithms that are preventing content like this from being shown to more people by just doing a couple of things. Hitting that like button, hitting that share button, leaving a comment under the video, subscribing if you haven't done that, hitting that bell, all of those things won't cost you a cent, only will cost you a couple of seconds. Um, and also you can uh, follow us on Twitter if you'd like at in the tank pod. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, feel free to email us at in the podcast at gmail.com. Justin Haskins, where can the fine people find you?
1: At Justin T. Haskins on Facebook, Twitter parlor and getter
0: fantastic and chris talgo what do you have to pitch today
2: uh stoppingsocialism.com make sure you visit and heartland.org and uh, hope we see at least a few of you at the benefit dinner tomorrow night
0: fantastic all right thank you all for joining us we will talk to you next week